The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Prospect Barbacast, the only prospect podcast in the world. On this stream? On this podcast feed. I'm Jake Mintz. <laughs> That's Jordan Schusterman. We're joined by Mike Farron here at the winter meetings in Nashville, the only 10 I see. And we're going to do, amongst the Otani drama and all the managers discussing nothing, we're going to focus on prospects instead because that's what we do on Wednesdays here on the Barbacast. Mike Farron sitting next to me. Good to Hi, see buddy. You. Um, can we? It's nice to see you guys in person. Can we also mention that there actually is no Otani drama because literally nothing is happening? Uh, there is Otani drama, not with him. There is Dave Roberts drama, but we already yeah, no, talked about different. that. That's yeah. different. But, but nobody else yeah. in the Dodgers organization will admit that they actually had a conversation with him. He doesn't exist. Who? I, he doesn't exist. Uh, we, this is going a long way by his agent to avoid having to go to the Opry Land. I'll let you. I oh mean, this God. is like, this is so galaxy true. brain thinking on the part sure, of Nez Are we sure Nez isn't here and just lost? <laughs> All right, anyway. Uh, okay, let's. we are not talking about Otani on this episode. This episode of Prospect Barbacast is going to focus on the stunning results of the second Ba-ba-bum. ever draft lottery. Last year, we had a draft lottery, and the Pittsburgh Pirates won the first draft lottery ever. The draft lottery instituted to, into Major League Baseball. We see it in the NBA. We now have it in Major League Baseball as, I guess, in the most basic form a way to discourage tanking. That is the most basic way to phrase it. Uh, whether that works or not. I, let's Before we get to the results of this one, what do you, like, when this was introduced, how did you feel about it, and how do you feel about it now, regardless of the results of the first two? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, like, there's some interesting developments in it, right? So, you know, J.J. Cooper wrote about this, because J.J. Cooper, who is, like, Mr. Draft of Baseball America, got to be in the room for the ping pong balls being bounced. And it's similar to the NBA, right? They have, there's like a code, basically. You get these four numbers, and if they match, you know, what the team has, then, then they get it. And the first time they ran through it, the Nationals won the lottery. Yeah. But the Nationals can't pick in the top 10 because they pay into baseball's revenue sharing. So the Earliest they can pick is 10. And the reason they didn't just, according to JJ, they didn't just pull the Nationals' numbers is that would have changed the odds for everybody. And they did a horrible job of communicating that beforehand because on MLB.com, they showed odds for the first pick that were different 
than last year's odds. And it was because of the Nationals. Yeah. Last year, the, the two, the three top odds were around 16.5%. This year, when they published it yesterday, 18. it was 18.6%. Right? Yeah. And it was because the Nationals were not in it. That is some minutia. I made it through college without buying a calculator. And so, like, the odds is it hurts my brain. Like, this is too much math for me. It's fine. Sorry, I can't. Well, you picked it. the right sport to cover it, then, Jake, <laughs> if you can't handle math. It's, it's money. Well, listen, there is some there. There are definitely, as you mentioned, it is definitely some minutia, but they are clearly still ironing out the process for this because of the rules involving the penalties. What teams can be in the lottery X number of years in a row for all these different reasons that we don't necessarily have to get into. But the the basic premise you generally support. Yeah, I think I think I do. And, And I think the idea of taking those teams that are higher revenue teams and not guaranteeing them a spot in the lottery year after year. I mean, that's I can understand the driver behind that from the Players Association standpoint that wants the focus to be on Major League players, right? Yeah. So, so, like, this year, the White Sox finish fifth in the draft lottery. Next year, they won't pick earlier than 10th. Right. Right? So, like, if, and that's, you know, if they have one of the 10 worst records, they end up if the White sure. Sox don't make the playoffs next year, right? So, Man, the Orioles really got this thing in under the radar, yeah, huh, now, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, like, that really yeah. is the reason why this existed from a more recent perspective. Like, the O's drafted first twice and second once and got Holiday, Kerstad, Henderson, and, uh, wow, Jackson Holiday, duh. Kowser. Kowser. Rutschman, right. They got so many good players with all that pool space. Well, and and that's the thing, is it's not just about, you know, when we talk about the draft lottery in an NBA context, it's, oh, my God, they won, they get to pick this generational player. So that's sort of true in baseball sometimes, but really it's about all that money that you get with that number one pick and all that pool space, um, which, is, which is something that as we right. talk about the draft on this podcast in the future, we will cover more in depth. Now, Guardians fans, we have good news and bad news. What do you want first? Uh, give the bad news first. The bad news is this is a historically bad draft. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, it's uh, probably a little early to say that it's really tracking that way. Yes. I, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's a this bad not, draft. This is. We'll get into the draft in a minute. It is not going to be as bad a draft, in my opinion, okay. as sixteen and seventeen were. It's not going to be yes. that bad. Yeah. I was seven years old when those happened, so I don't yeah. remember that. So, so let's, let's not do. So full of it, it. And we're way too early to be declaring any sort of historical uh, comparisons, but. Maybe it is not necessarily quite the, the draft we just had. We ended up with five super duper top talents at the very top, right? And we knew that pretty early on. That was that. As we sit here now, that has not seen the case. We're going to get into some of those players in general. Just but quickly, I, I, when, when I say it's a yeah. bad draft, I'm overreacting. It's a worse draft than it was last year, which was a historically good draft. Right now, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. The top five picks from last year would be the consensus number one guy right now. Yeah, any one of them would. And I think the top pick in 25, who is, you know, Ethan Holiday, who's Matt Holiday's other, you know, Jackson Holiday's younger brother um, and son of Matt Holiday, would be the number one pick in this draft, too. So, but it's not a particularly strong draft. It doesn't look like behind Ethan Holiday either. The, The reason is, and we can get into this more, is that there's just not. Like, there's not middle of the field, like shortstop, center field, college players, and really not surefire shortstop center fielders at the high school level. And that's what tends to drive draft because 
if you're athletic enough to play those positions, if the bat comes along, even if you can't handle it defensively, you have to move off the position. Most of those players who are near the top of this draft have already moved over. They're at, at second base or they're first baseman. And, you know, like 2017, we saw a lot of first baseman tra- taken early. That's part of the issue with that draft class. So I think that's, that's what why we talk about it this way, although it is way deeper in college pitching than yes. it has been in a while. Yes, and we're going to get into, again, and part of it is right, high school in general classes is a lot shallower, so we'll get to some names in a second, but, I mean, let's just, just read for those who, who didn't see, you know, again, the way lottery works, right, you have that the worst records have the best chances to get in the top, but we had two teams jump up in yeah. shocking fashion. The Guardians, who had the ninth best odds to get the first pick, end up getting it. They had a 2% chance to get the number one pick. They get it. The Reds had a less than 1% chance. They had the 13th best odds. They jumped from 13 all the way to 2. Then we have kind of a, you know, a run of the, the bad teams that you would more expect to be at the top of the draft. Rockies 3, A's 4, White Sox 5, Royals 6, Cardinals 7. That was one I was very interested in mm-hmm. because the Cardinals certainly not. I mean, I know the lottery's new, but the Cardinals are very much not used to picking in the top – you know, the last time the Cardinals picked in the top ten is who knows? I I would I that's were, a good well, question. I'm sure I'm sure that's been been mentioned before. But Cardinals picking seven is, is a pretty significant thing. Angels eight. We've certainly seen them there before. Pirates nine. Nationals ten. There, you know, the interesting situation where their pick uh, was moved down. But let's get into again this top ten, especially for Guardians, Reds fans. Clap White it up Sox. for Ohio. Clap Ohio, it up for Ohio. I mean, OH. I always I always clap it up for Ohio. I'm a big big OHIO guy, and uh, I mean, uh, just hilarious. Guardians Reds one two. Last time they were in the top ten, uh, 1998, they took wow. JD Drew. There you go. He was pretty good. That's we were three. Wild, we were three. That is just okay. So anyway, so this is go huge to hell, deal. Jake. Huge go to heaven, Mike. That's the year I graduated college. Huge yeah, you're wait, old, wait, Mike. Wait, Mike, you're older than us. Okay, all Mike, right. So the the, the fair and hard. You can only be young open. once. The, Count the rings. The Cardinals are <laughs> picking seven. So so again, long way to go. You know, fall ball is behind us. So we we've learned some stuff. People who you know, Mike and I, who spent a lot of time talking to people about the draft and how the Jake set this one out. <laughs> Uh, Shaking, no, no, but this is this is important. This is a good excuse right. for to Jake to you know get kind of introduced to to this class, and so we're going to keep it pretty simple here, you know, on this episode. Basically, just talking about what are the if there are strengths, you know, at, at the top of this Sorry. class, and who are some names that we could expect to maybe be in the mix for some of these top picks. Do you, do we need to do something before that? Yeah, I just want to talk about Cleveland getting the first pick a little oh, okay, bit. Sure, yeah, it's like, never happened before. It's crazy. They've, wait, they've never had the first pick? They had four times they had the worst record in the American League. Oh, and but they, they were in like years where they alternated between e- odd number of years was the National League teams. Yeah, we got the first pick. <laughs> they, they got the top pick, and oh the AL God. teams did the others. So they've picked second a bunch of times, but they've never picked first before. Yeah, which, and is, which is wild. They go back to 1965, so it's almost 60 years now. Leave it to a time like this where they had such a small percent chance right. to yeah. get the first pick and you 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 know when like a premier league striker scores and the announcer's like oh my god you kids look at what it means to him look at what it means to him antonetti the president of <laughs> baseball operations the, for the guardians the clip of him going going wild the clip of him like running to whoever the rep was and like hugging them it was like he scored a <laughs> champions league winner i'll yeah. get in antonetti but I mean, this is and, and and here's the thing. I mean, it's not just okay. We weren't that bad, and now we have the first pick. I mean, it, it's hard to deny. It's like a team like Cleveland, you're looking to infuse as much talent as possible. And if, unfortunately, I don't want Cleveland to be as cheap as they are. 
But, like, that's a team that is going to reap extreme benefits from yes. picking this high in the draft. Well, they're going to reap extreme benefits from having the pool money. And I think, yeah. you remember, it's not just them that, that buck the odds. It's Cincinnati, yeah. too. Cincinnati, too. So, like, the fact that those are 1-2 is pretty crazy. And I haven't followed the NBA draft lottery closely enough over the last 20 years to really have a good feel for how often that's happened, you know, more recently. But, it's you, right, it's crazy to think that those two teams – you know, who really bucked the odds and they're one, two in this. So, um, yeah, it's great. And I'm sure during the course of the spring and summer, we'll talk more about how the draft pool works. And for those who don't know, but really it's, it's given the guardians about $4 million more in draft capital than they would have had if they'd picked in the regular spot. Wow. That's, and that's, and that's a massive deal. And and that's also by way, uh, a huge deal for the Mets who also because <laughs> that's a different situation, but they because they're so far over, you know, the salary cap uh, or the luxury tax, I should say, uh, they get punished. Their pick drops down if it doesn't end up in the top six, which it did. Right, and the same with the Yankees, and the same with. But the they Pirates. were not really right. in the discussion because they right. didn't have a good chance of getting in the top right. six, whereas the Mets did. So they're picking nineteenth, I believe, which is uh, again when you talk about it's millions of dollars in pool space, which is a big deal when you're when you're kind of putting a draft together. So let's let's kind of get into some names again. We don't have to go too deep here, but as you see it now, Mike. Again, we talked about that, that five that we kind of had at the top of last year's draft, and you could argue the order and, 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 and so on. But, you know, the order is certainly not crystallized, in my opinion. But no. do you see a tier at the top, even if it's not necessarily that great? But, like, do you see a clear tier at the top no. right now? Okay. No, I don't think there is one. I mean, I think there are players that you like. You know, I was, I was sitting with some, some folks from an amateur department today, and we were talking a little bit, and I was like, who would you take one-on-one right now? And the consensus at the table was J.J. Weatherholt, who's the... He's going to play shortstop for West Virginia. He's really viewed as a second baseman. He had a season last year that was good enough to win the Golden Spikes Award, which is the top amateur player in the country. He's got some power. He doesn't strike out. He can really run. And so, like, as of right now, Weatherholt, it might be the guy, but it's not like... The problem is, is that, like, it's him... Or Travis Pizana, who's a second baseman, who's at Oregon State, who hits the ball really, really hard. He's an Aussie, which has producer Chris, like, going nuts. <laughs> oh, Chris, yeah. can, so. can we just get this on the record? Chris, I want you to say Travis Pizana's name as Australian as you can. And then every time we mention his name for, in, from now until he gets you know, picked in the top five, you need to edit in you saying it. I, I'm joking, but it would be funny if you did that. Do you know that you guys only ever get me to say things in because you want to hear me... Like no, but at least you should is put on an American accent That's even to worse. say the Australian <laughs> but the name. The only time they get me on is like, say this in your accent. Yeah, but, it, but this is, by the way, Bra- Brady, was, Chris. Brady was talking about when Jake, Jake is going to be in Australia later this month, and we're going to try to do a bit where we get him to say things in his weird American oh, accent yeah, while he's in Australia. That's absolutely how you should handle that. that. Yeah. I agree. Um, anyway, Travis Pizzano. Okay, now He didn't say it. Oh. Travis Pizzano. Oh, I can't, oh, I, oh, I that was not. authentic. Uh, was. Here's the thing. So you mentioned Weatherholt and you mentioned Pizzano. Yeah. You just mentioned something there quickly that, that's important, and if you're just from learning about him now, it's not that big of a deal. Weatherholt played second base last year. Yes. And I think we've seen him at third as well. Bazana, I don't know if we're... It doesn't seem like he's we're gonna expecting... He's going to play second base. He's just a second baseman. But yeah. he can really hit. No, I, I know. But, but the point is, is that there's an opportunity for Weatherholt to prove yeah. he can play shortstop. That could, and if he puts up the same kind of statistical absurd year, 
now he moves into a tier where it's like I'm teams yeah. are talk about him talking about him in a much more excited sense. But to when we're talk, when we're starting with second baseman and we're gonna get to Nick Kurtz, the first, first baseman, baseman at Wake yeah. Forest, you can already say to say like normally as you mentioned, we're talking about middle of the field talent, right. catchers like Adley Rutschman, right? Shortstops like Carlos Correa, right? Center fielders and so on. That's just not the case right now. Absolutely. But Weatherhold maybe has that opportunity to prove he can play shortstop. Yeah, if he can pr- prove that he can play shortstop, it, at least enough that scouting directors can convince themselves they can send him out at shortstop, sure. even if he moves to second, then maybe that's the case. But, like, there are, beyond that, I mean, to your point, like, there are first basemen. There are, there's an intriguing two-way player. You well, know, I was, Jack well, I was about before. to say. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But, but, like, there are some, like, center fielders that are possibilities. You know, they're just... They have some warts on them from yeah. the college side, right? Like Mike Sirota at Northeastern is a really, really good player. He just plays at Northeastern, Northeastern right? Yeah. That's where Tom Glavin's brother is the coach, yeah. Mike. And, and so, a, like, good program. Yeah, but the Colonial. It's the Colonial. Right, the Colonial is not the— We're the, not turning out, you know, top five picks. Right, it's like the 12th, the, the 8th or 9th or 10th, 12th, where conference. Vance Honeycutt at North Carolina is a tooled-up dude, but there's a lot of concerns about swing and miss. And he had a— I, down year last. Down I mean, he was year. incredible as a freshman. But. Yeah, and it was like I think it was a little bit better than he gets credit for because I mean the, the, he still got on base and he still hit for some power. But, like, but we saw warts. Yeah, there's warts. The, the, the warts that were there his freshman year didn't improve really. Yeah, his enough his junior year or his sophomore year. And you know, and then I would put like uh, Rodney Green Jr. at Cal in that mix, mm. who is like maybe the most tooled up dude, but has the biggest concerns about swing and miss. And so those are some of the guys that are in the middle of the field. And then like. In terms, and the thing is that those are the things that are pushing further down. And we haven't even talked about shortstops. Like the best college shortstop for this draft right now, and really, I think he's a sleeper candidate to go one-one. Is Seaver King, mm. who is at Wake Forest, who everybody you talk to who saw him play for Team USA last summer raves about him. Wake is a great hitting environment. He's going to push Merrick Houston off short. It seems like, and Houston was an excellent defender for Wake Forest. King is a transfer from a D2 school. And, like, we're talking about him as maybe being the best. And then behind him, it's like, what, Caleb Bonimer, who's the yeah. shortstop from Michigan, who's a really good player. High school, but he, yep. doesn't, he doesn't fit that kind of 1-1 mold. If I'm picking first, I'm drafting Griff McGarry and getting him on steroids. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Wait, why? Why? <laughs> I don't, I don't get the joke. I think he means Griff O'Farrell. Griff O'Farrell. <laughs> I was like, Griff McGarry? Just, Why are we drafting you know, Griff McGarry? You know, it's funny. That was impressive that you figured that out. At least he got the school That's right true. and the first name, but he screwed up the last name so badly that he I was like, the like, Phillies pitching prospect. Good joke, though. In exchange. I, it would have been, been if you said nailed it. That's the thing. Hey, let's man. try it again. Oh, Chris, so you can edit this, right? No, 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 absolutely not. No, keep it in. Absolutely not. I was just kidding about the editing. You know what I would do? I would take Griff O'Farrell with the first pick and put him on steroids. Hey, oh, because he can play shortstop, but can, and he makes hit. a lot of contact. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Okay, so Seaver King, though. First of all, you just mentioned oh, transfer from a Division two school, Wingate. That, that's a wild thing. Now, him for him to be now, I, I understand he's he's put on some muscle and he obviously right. developed in, in a big way. This is a this is a kid in Athens, Georgia. It's a tough look for the Bulldogs. <laughs> yeah, well, and, but he and goes to like one of the premier programs. I understand. So I, I mean, understand. yeah, he was right in the background, in the backyard of. But how do you miss him to begin with? Coach, right, right. right. But, to begin but with. either way, but the point is, is, that's a very interesting one. Now, if you're listening to this and you even have like a rudimentary knowledge of the draft in college baseball, you're wondering how? If, why are you not talking about Jack Caglione? Why are you not talking about Tommy White? Mm-hmm. I've heard of these guys. I want to. I want to talk about both of them. Yeah, Caglione first and foremost. Um, 
I mean, if you're not familiar, he is a two-way player at the University of Florida. He was a very highly touted uh, high school player in, in the state of Florida who was a left-handed pitcher who threw really hard, but ultimately he had Tommy John. He had big raw power, but not enough hit tool to really trust to take out of pro ball. Goes uh, to Florida and has become uh, one of the best two-way players we've ever seen at the college level. I mean, I, I he mean, has the potential to be one of the best two-way yeah, players. Yeah, uh, but, well, but statistically, but he leads the country in home runs, and he's you know, throwing 99, right? right? Um, it's, not as, it's a little volatile. It's not a lot volatile, right? It's not like a Brendan McKay at Louisville. It was very polished on both sides of the ball. Whereas Caglione, it's like a shocking amount of power on both sides, yeah. and that has been a challenge for him on the mound in terms of throwing strikes, and at times uh, at the plate in terms of chasing and, and whatnot. Yeah, so I think he's one of the more interesting players because he made some pretty significant mechanical changes in the fall in an effort to throw more uh, strikes. Yep. And you're right, he throws you know 100 miles an hour. It's just that it's a little bit like if you've ever seen Bull Durham, he's Nuke Lelouch, right? Like, he might hit the Bull mascot twice. You know, like, what's the name of the Gator mascot? Oh, does it have... I Gary. Don't know. Gary. No, it's not Gary. Florida Gators He's mascot. got a name. Mater, I Mater the Gator. This Albert. Albert. Yeah, Al Gator, right? <laughs> Al Gator. So he might what? hit Albert Al- twice in the game. And so, like, that's what... The, but the delivery looked better this fall. And to your point, Jordan, it's a really good one. Like, he has massive power. He led the nation on home runs last he, year. He has, like, I mean, I mean it's, he it's like eight. It's at 80. Yeah, like, there's no, the scale this raw is power. not like, oh, he's using metal bats. It's like, like it's Chris Davis stuff. power yes. from the left side, but he swings at everything. Like, he is, he is off the bus to swing at the first pitch. And it somehow worked. If it's in the zone, it's yeah. out of the ballpark. Yeah. But you otherwise, just, it's, it's, you know, there were a lot of strikeouts with him, and he doesn't walk very much. Are you, are and you that's listening? something he needs to work Are you listening to this? Did you just drop your wallet? Oh, Jack Caglione swung at it. Yeah. <laughs> And so, and, and again, like, but, but this is not just like, wow, like, he's got real juice. Like, he's got real, like, no, 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 no. This is, this is, a, this is top of the, as far as his recent college players, you know, he's hitting balls. Even when you adjust four metal bats, maybe juice baseballs, maybe juice bats, he's hitting them 117, 18, 120 regularly. Not one-offs yeah. like, oh, that's a track man fluke. Like, he has ridiculous power. And so my question to you, my last question to you about, about Jack here is, you know, obviously, he's going to continue to pitch at the college level. Um, but I'm curious, again, if he hits another 30 home runs, do you see, is the physical talent going to be too much to pass up uh, for a team? And, and now, again, now that we have the draft order, we, you know, we can look at the top and kind of start to speculate which organizations would be more likely to try, and, to try this. So that's what I was going to say, and I, yeah. this is related to a question I have. I cannot envision a world where Cleveland takes him 1-1. No, not right now. Not right now. If no. he makes the necessary improvements... In the spring, then maybe yeah. he just seems they love guys who make a lot of contact I mean, in the zone, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't even know. Like the Angels are right there, guys. Oh, <laughs> I know. I, I don't <laughs> think go, he's. Right? I'll tell you what. I yeah. don't think he's a Tim McIlvain kind of pick. I, okay. I really don't. I know that they've had guys. You know, they they get a lot of flack for how quickly guys have moved, and I think some of that has to do with the way that their their owner has kind of demanded things. Well, go. I'm talking about the two way thing, not the yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's going <laughs> to be. And it's not even yeah, just Otani. I mean, they've had other guys in the minors. Like there are only so many sure. teams that they have tried it. Giants with. have done it. Giants and, have yeah, done it a lot. So yeah, now again, Crawford comes to mind. And I'm yeah. curious if what kind of season he has to have to ensure that he goes out as a two way player. Because yeah. at this point, I still I just think that the offensive potential is so overwhelming that I don't. I just have to imagine, and I don't. I, I actually don't know his 
what he wants to do. Sometimes players feel very mm-hmm. strongly about doing one way or the other or doing both. I, I'm not sure where he's at right now, and that could change as things happen. I, I think most organizations would send him out both ways to yeah. see, you know, to let him know. They may have a preference or feeling, but they, you know, okay, if you want to do both, let's see until you fail at it. I mean, we mentioned Reggie Crawford before with the Giants. Giants really liked him on the mound because of his arm, but he wanted to be a two-way player. And so, like, he was hitting in the Arizona Fall League, and he struggled. He hasn't hit much as a pro, um, in part because he, was, he had Tommy John surgery before his junior year, yep. and so he's been, you know, kind of working his way back on the mound, but they shut him down so he could do that. And so, like, there, there's... Guys will do it. In fact, they did it last. Um, who was the kid from Virginia? George, was it? Um, um, oh, Bryce Eldridge. Bryce Eldridge, Eldridge, right? Yeah, the high school kid yep. who's a two-way guy. So, like, they'll give him an opportunity to do it. But I think your bigger point is, is okay, so, like, what are the things we need to know? And it goes back to controlling the strike zone. And, and as we get deeper into draft stuff, which I think we will a lot here, we'll talk more about the way teams are using statistical models to help build out draft profiles. And a lot of it has to do with how much, you know, how many, when they're swinging at pitches, are they swinging at pitches in the strike zone? And how often are they landing pitches in the zone and getting hitters to miss, right? So, like, it's how do you control the strike, which makes intuitive sense, right? Like, how do you control the strike zone as a pitcher or as a hitter is going to be the number one priority. And we won't know until we see Caglione this spring yep. how much he's really improved. Is it is what was happening happen in the fall a precursor, or is he, in the words of, of Dave Esker at Stanford, who dropped this one on me, is he a fall American? Uh, <laughs> we love fall Americans. Oh, well, I love fall le- Americans. As a former fall American, there's three levels. There's a fall American, a fall star, and a fall of famer. Yeah. Fall Were you a fall of famer? Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, 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 I was. Um, Let me ask you a question about Cleveland specifically. (laughs) Cleveland has developed a pretty clear MO with their draft strategy over the last five or Mm -hmm. so years. They're easily one of the top model-driven teams in the league, which means they tend to draft guys who are younger for the class, right? Do you anticipate, now that they have the first overall pick, that they will be as beholden to that model as they've been yeah. when they've drafted like 23rd or 18th. So I haven't had a, a chance to talk to anybody from Cleveland yet. I'm assuming I will later today at some point just kind of about what their thoughts are. But I think what it has tended to be has been if you're looking at prep players, that has been the bigger driving force, specifically prep hitters. That's where there seemed to be some advantage built in. And since there isn't that prep middle infielder that you go that, that fits the Francisco Lindor, even I know it hasn't worked out great, but Carson Tucker, who was a first rounder a few years ago, Cole Tucker's younger brother, like those guys in that mix, I don't know. Unless, and again, like I'll put this giant asterisk on it, they would be a team that because there isn't a clear cut number one, you know, as it stands right now, they're a team that would build a talent portfolio which means that instead of just taking the player that you have number one on your board, you take the best player with a similar grade to the guy you have number one that saves you the most money on that pick so that you can reallocate that to push better talent down to you later in the draft. And that's a really complex part of 
baseball drafting, but it's an important one. And I, I think Cleveland has, because they have so much more pool money now and because they'll have competitive balance picks, that's something that I would keep an eye on with this is that they aren't necessarily going to take the top player in the draft, number one, or the consensus top player, if, if in fact, it doesn't shake out like this. Right. They could very realistically do what mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, we've seen Pittsburgh do that. Um, in a very real way when they've been picking at the very top. Uh, if there's a, a clear-cut number one, sure. you take them. Yeah, right? of course, of course. Um, now, I think the, uh, the last couple kind of groups that I think we should definitely mention, we talked about Caglione, two-way play or whatever. Let's talk about the pitching because if you're wondering, yeah. okay, who, who, are the top, who are the top arms? And I think that there's a lot of depth, but the ones at the top right now have some also pretty massive question marks, I would say. So I would say that the, the first name to throw out there is Chase Burns, who is a right-handed pitcher who is very highly regarded as a high schooler in Tennessee, goes to the University of Tennessee, has a lot of success as a freshman. As a sophomore, it's a little bit more bumpy. He loses his rotation spot. He moves to the bullpen and is sensational. But now he transfers to Wake Forest, where he is very much expected to be in the rotation. Wake Forest is a great, of course, reputation development, of development, particularly pitching development. And to see how Chase Burns, who, again, throws, you know, he'll be upper 90s with the, with the ridiculous slider, see the tweaks that he can make. A pure arm talent, it's right there, but, and Wake Forest is the perfect place for him to, to figure it out. Right. Um, and that marriage there is, like, I wonder if we'd be talking about Chase Burns as the first pitcher, and maybe you disagree with me, me as talking about Chase Burns as the first pitcher, so you can answer that, but if he was still at Tennessee. I, 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 he would be in the conversation, certainly, as a, as a first-round talent. But I think that we are, so, we are such believers in the Wake Forest operation and that move that it's going to put him in a really good position uh, to succeed. I mean, I th- but maybe that's overrated. I, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I think he probably would still be considered that based on the stuff that he had. Remember, yeah. when he, like, the reason why Chase Burns transferred, Tennessee knew that he was going to, is because he was struggling and he moved into a closer's role. They needed, the team was, was struggling a little bit. He was struggling. They moved him into the bullpen. He shoved out of the pen. He looked like the Chase Burns that pitches a fresh, freshman who was one of the top pitchers in the country. And so I think that, that talent is still there. So I think based on the quality of his stuff, he is probably going to be considered at the top of the draft anyway, whether or not he had re- transferred to Wake. Wake has had a way of making the pitchers that they have better, much, much better. And so that, I think, is part of the discussion with him. But as much as we talked about this draft class being different than last year's and maybe not quite as good, it's actually pretty deep on the mound. And you're right, these guys are flawed. But if it's not, you know, Burns, like, there's... There's a bunch of intriguing guys. I also love, though, that we just talk about Burns. Like, wow, okay, he's got real crazy stuff, but, you know, he's got some things to iron out. Brody Brecht somehow has crazier stuff than Chase yeah. Burns, which yes. seems impossible. And but, he might not even be the best pitcher on his roster. Right. So, and we at can, Iowa. Right. And they, they have, they've got a staff now with Marcus Morgan um, and Kate Obermuller. Like, that's a, Iowa is going to be, they're going to, that's three guys right there yeah. that could all go, you know, in the first few rounds. But, but Brody Brecht, who was a, a football player uh, at Iowa and, and finally, you know, this past year decided to step away from football, which the little I know about college football sounds like a good decision <laughs> to step away from Iowa football. But his, I mean, we saw him earlier this year pitch uh, in an early season tournament for Iowa where he walked eight guys 
And I was still impressed. I was like, oh my God. That guy's yeah, it was the he, best eight walk performance <laughs> I've ever seen. It was against LSU, yeah. who was the number one team and in the won, nation. And won the, the championship. Time. And, and they, they won that one game. hit. And he won, they won the game. And they yeah. won hit. They had no I, chance. I mean, he was, he was absolutely dominant. And his fastball is going to get a lot of attention, but the slider is his best pitch. And so, you know, between, so like we, we mentioned Burns. You know, Josh Hartle, who's also at Wake Forest, yep, is going to be a first-round guy. Lefty, who's a little bit more traditional. It's a fastball cutter. He's been a pretty good prospect for a long time, you know, going back to his amateur, his high school days. He's going to be a guy that's in the mix. Ma- Michael Massey is a guy to really watch who's going to move into the rotation this year, who was a, a, an elite reliever for Wake Forest last year. He's another name that's in that. Hagen Smith is a guy that I love at Arkansas. He's a left-hander who's up to 98, who has wipeout stuff, Matt, you know, as much as we talk about Wake Forest now, their former pitching coach is Matt Hobbs, who's at Arkansas, and he has Hagen Smith and Brady Tigert, who started at the end of last year, who I think Brady Tigert's fastball-slider combination might be the best of any of the right-handers in the draft. He's not as overpowering as that's, Burns, that's a flaming but it has got a take. really good fastball and good command of it, and the slider is wipeout. It's more of a traditional, what they would call a gyro slider, yeah. right? So, like, yeah. the sweepers are the ones that move a lot east to west. His is one that's got a little bit more tilt to it. I really like Tiger a lot. And then you get into, like, Thatcher Hurd, who, if you watch the College World Series this year, pitched very well for LSU. I got a couple of people in the last two weeks who told me that Gage Jump, who transferred from UCLA this year, was unbelievable this fall. The only reason why he wouldn't be ranked higher is that he's had injuries the last two years that have limited his availability at UCLA. So, like, we're talking all about this. And, and, And you mentioned all the guys at Iowa, like, that's a number of college pitchers that we see that could be in that. They can work them way into yeah. an even higher tier, right. which is and, exciting. And, I agree. And because they have a ton of stuff. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to hit the high school class, uh, which is not especially looking especially great right now, but it is a very important part of this process. We'll be right back on Prospect Barbecue. And welcome back to Prospect Barbacast. Jordan Schusterman here with Mike Farron, Jake Mintz. And I know I just teased we're going to talk about the high schoolers, but we have to talk about Tommy White first because I know that he has a lot of name recognition. Tommy Tanks, freshman sensation at NC State, transfers to LSU. And while the home runs were not as plentiful, he was an even better overall hitter. And watching him work, he is not necessarily the straight, burly slugger just going up there to try and hit it like this dude knows what the hell he's doing in the box and but I'm fascinated with what you think about him uh, as a draft prospect but Jake I know you I mean Tommy like he is and I've thought this I remember I was so excited like you know he was known in high school and Florida at IMG Academy and probably could have gotten one 1.5 million dollars but ends up going to NC State and I, I remember even at the time being like, wow, like he could be a star in college, but it's going to be a fascinating draft discussion because he's been playing third base, and I, he's not awful there. And I know <laughs> we made this joke on our last show, right, how it's like you, you make excuses for bad defenders when they absolutely rake. And that is exactly the case yeah. uh, for Tommy Takes. But the bar for his offense will determine where he has to play. Like... There's a version of Tommy Tanks where the defense in a minor league system gets incrementally better 
because he gets in better shape and he gets more athletic. I'm just saying that's one bucket. The other is that he rakes enough to be a first baseman. And then the other bucket is neither of these things happen, and it's a bad pick, right? Yeah. The thing that I love about Tommy Tanks, and this is talking to people who had to game plan against him in the World Series last year, that he was a dog in the box. Yeah. People are horrified of pitching to this guy. Now, are the tools, like, is the, the the power is different, right? But are the tools going to play at the big league level in the box? That's question if he was an elite athlete and an up the middle defender he's in the conversation for the top five pick right but it's the combo of the uncertainty of the approach plus the lack of athleticism but and i want to bring nick kurtz back into this conversation because the next question i was because we didn't touch on him at all and the reason is is from tommy white perspective what is the highest you could conceive of him going because i'm white yeah because number one if he shows up and he's freaking yoked in but the I mean, spring? no, it's no. like that isn't do. No, it's the opposite. I need him to be playing a mean no. third base and like essentially. No, 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 so- I'm just, I'm, I, I, that's what I meant. He shows up and he's just like in sick shape. Yeah. And like he's twitchy but, and he's but, playing a good third. But Nick, and I know he's a right-handed hitter. Nick Hurts left-handed yeah. hitter. And, and that's a factor too. And, and there's the, but I'm curious. He didn't walk as much as you maybe would have hoped for him uh, last year. But what he do you. He didn't strike out a ton. He didn't strike out a ton either. That's true. But I, I assume this year yeah. he's going to walk more in a, in a slightly worse LSU lineup at the very least. But I'm, I'm curious where you, where you think his ceiling is because he's a – that's someone with numbers-wise is, is not really – I mean, he's right there with Nick Kurtz, right? Yeah. He really is, and he's still playing third base. Mm. And how he still seems to be a tier below where Nick Kurtz is, like, clearly number one. So the difference is the athleticism, right? So let's start with the difference between the two. Kurtz is a left-handed hitter with massive power who – the only reason he's not playing the outfield at Wake is that he's actually an excellent defender at first. I mean, they mm. tried him in the outfield, and he had an injury there. Got it. Um, in, in first fall, I think he had diving play and separated his shoulder. And so um, they, they stuck him back at first base. And he's just like there's, to your point, it, it's those things like it, there's twitch to him, right? Yeah. Like there's athleticism and there's snap to his swing and there's like legit light tower power. And he hits left-handed on top of it, right? So like that's yeah. the, the big reason why is he's always got the, or largely has the platoon advantage, right? He's going to face more right-handed pitching. Yes. That's going to be a key. And, and more, walks and, more walks and strikeouts. Yeah. Kurtz right. moves like an NBA wing player and Tommy White kind of moves like your buddy. A backup center. Like your buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I think, so like White, I think, it's, I think it's unfair to say that he is not a good athlete. I think yes. he is not as athletic as you want. And so like, the, here's the concern is, and I'll use a recent LSU guy, and it's not a perfect analog because this guy was a switch hitter, but you know, Jacob Berry was a guy that was the number six overall pick in the draft two years ago by the Marlins. He had been the top freshman in the country at Arizona. He transferred to LSU for his sophomore year. He's a draft-eligible sophomore. Jay Johnson, who was the head coach at LSU, who had been at Arizona, got him to go there. They got him to work at third base to make him passable there. But he's just not this, like, twitchy athlete. He's just a little bit kind of stiffer and... It has to be a, a really good approach in order for him to take advantage of pitches in the zone to hit. And Barry is a little bit more aggressive in that re- regard, right? And he hasn't, he hasn't p- played all that well in pro ball. White is, a, I think, a really good hitter, in, to, to your point, Jordan, in that he 
can use the middle of the field well. He's kind of got that old school RBI man feel, like uh, yeah. You know, and like, you can you can roll your eyes at RBIs. Mm-hmm. One hundred and five in six games. I mean, <laughs> even with like knowing Dylan Cruz hitting ahead of you and all these things, it's just like that. That's that's not an accident. No, it's nuts, and it's very Pete Alonso esque in that regard. And it, when Alonso was at Florida, and similar to. MJ Melendez, or not MJ Melendez, Ivan Melendez, the, the Hispanic Titanic, who the Diamondbacks took in the second round two years ago, who had been the Golden Spikes Award winner at Texas. Now, Melendez had probably a little bit more swing and miss in his game than White does, but White's a good hitter with a questionable defensive profile that he has to be able to get to his power in order to have success. And the question is, is he athletic enough to be able to get to that that's a big question that scouts are going to be looking for this spring. If he is, he's probably like a mid-to-back first-round guy. I could see him. Like, like The worst-case scenario is he's a guy like Seth Beer, right, that gets mm-hmm. a cup of coffee and who just doesn't have the, the right kind of athleticism to be able to tap into his skills. But what, like Tommy White's going to be a first baseman in pro ball. They, yeah. they, somebody makes I mean, the, the Diamondbacks keep playing Ivan Melendez in third, and you talk to people like, yeah, it's getting better. Yeah, it's, it's like, getting okay. better, and it's like, no, like fine. Just don't lie to me. Don't lie to I would say it, and, probably, it probably has improved, yeah. but it's still not great. Um, Charlie Condon at Georgia also factors into this conversation very as, similar as yeah. a first base type. But I want to move to the high schoolers uh, before we get out of here because that I think in the this is the fifth year that I've followed the draft like intensely closely and I can't remember again this is a small sample so you can have a better sense for this yeah I mean when you look at the 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 industry boards right now and you talk to people like you don't get to a high schooler before 15 20 25 Mm -hmm. and there's almost no way that there won't be a high schooler that's picked in the top 10 but as it stands now this is where the class is very, very, very weak, but we should talk about a couple. You just mentioned yeah. Caleb Bonimer earlier, high school shortstop in Michigan, but does this feel from that perspective like especially, I can't, I'm not going to say historic, but at this point in the cycle, after a whole summer where you normally you have guys kind of show up on a showcase circuit and make a name for themselves and clearly start to stand out, that just yeah. didn't happen. It just yeah. didn't happen. I think Connor Griffin was the one guy who kind of... Yeah, and he, of, he sits right now at the top. Right. Um, but he, it's not like he's in the conversation in the top five at the top of the top overall, I would say, I right now. I think he's a guy that can there. do that. He could get Just there. in, in conversation. Like, listen, the publicly available draft lists don't have him that high. Yep. In talking with scouts and, and seeing him at, at, at Perfect Game All-American, like, Griffin... He looks has, the part. Yeah, he, he definitely sure does. Looks the part. I mean, he's yep. an outfielder. He's from Mississippi. Um, he reclassified. He was originally a 25. He reclassified to the 24 draft. He's a right-handed hitter. He's pretty athletic. He's got real power. He and does pitch, sh- too. And some people are like, oh, yeah, I don't think it's going to be. I mean, yeah. he's going to hit. Yep. Um, and so I think he's probably the guy that's in the mix. But then the other guys behind it, you mentioned Bonimer. He's a really intriguing player. I'm not sure that he stays a shortstop, but I think he can hit enough. He might end up being a second baseman. And then it's like, you know, P.J. Morlando, who is great name, kind of outfield first base type. I mean, uh, it's, I went and back. he's older. That's another thing. If you look at a lot of the high school players at the top of this class, you mentioned Connor Griffin. He's younger because he reclassified. A lot of these top hitters uh, at the very top of this class, like uh, the, the one you just mentioned, who I'm just – oh, Morlando. Morlando, you know, 19 on draft day. That's a concept we're definitely going to be, be hitting on. Derek Curiel, 
an outfielder mm-hmm. uh, from Southern California who was kind of at the top of this class at points over the last year. He's another one, you know, 19 on draft day. Uh, Bryce Rainier. Uh, Rainer. I don't, do, you, do you know the pronunciation on that? Rainer, Rainier? Uh, uh, another Harvard-Westlake yeah. kid. A uh, shortstop. That's another one uh, who's a little bit older. And so that's another thing where, again, Jake ref- referenced to you know, model-friendly teams. Some teams don't yeah. necessarily are, are as in on older high schoolers. There, there are some <laughs> successful stories. Of that, so I don't want to make too much of that. But at the very least, like, no well, one's jumping off okay, the page so let me, right Let me now. give you a couple things. Like, I had a scouting director this summer. We were talking about Morlando. We were watching mm-hmm. him. He was like, when was the last time there was like a, a really successful big leaguer that was a first-round high school draft pick out of South Carolina? Mm. And It's funny you say that because I've heard the same thing about Mississippi. So <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah, which, which is, that's fine. But he, the, like, there's a little different athleticism with Griffin than there is with Morlando. Oh, of, of you course. You have to go back course. to like Preston Wilson in 1992. You know, to find a guy who had like a six-war career, you know, or better. So is like that it's been a while. Interesting. So, so it's you know, you it's go. not necessarily known as the prep, at least for prep players out of the draft. There are some sure. great players in South of Carolina course, that went to college and then became good, good pros. <laughs> Michael think, Bauman reminds us every day. Yeah, well, I mean, like <laughs> I think you think of um, Justin Smoke, right? Like yeah, there's yeah, a guy yeah. who was, I believe, he was in South Carolina. Like it wasn't he and Matt Weeters was from South Carolina too. I think, right? Weren't they both South Carolina kids? I think they may have gone to the same high school. Um, so anyway, so like that doesn't happen very often. So. That, I think, is, is interesting with Morlando. I think, let me give you a couple other names that I think are guys that are intriguing that, that have some upside and have some um, ability. Aiden Harris is a third mm. baseman from suburban D.C. who hits the ball incredibly hard. He's a right-handed hitter, but really athletic with power. And there's a lot to like about Aiden Harris. Again, we're probably looking down further in the first round or maybe into the second. The other guy who I think can move up because catching is always such a premium is actually Kate Aaron Beattie is a guy that I think is, is intriguing because he has one of the strongest catching arms that we've seen from a prep player over the last at least decade. I mean, I think I don't know that his arm strength was quite the same, but like Will Banfield, who's a catcher in the Marlins system, was rule five really, eligible. Yeah, rule five <laughs> eligible. I actually put together a good season offensively. Finally, yeah. But he was always a guy that had really good. Was a really good defender and had a strong arm. Aaron Beattie can hit a little bit too, and so like that's a guy that I think could move up because. Like prep catching is a really, really dangerous, oh yeah, oh yeah, dangerous profile, right? But he's a guy that I think would be of interest and is worth keeping an eye on this spring. The last name I want to mention, uh, and then we can wrap here and return to all the all the news that's happening here at the winter meetings, uh, is Slade Caldwell. This is someone that I've had some conversations with. He's an outfielder uh, yeah. from Alabama, I believe, and he or Arkansas. Sorry, Arkansas, uh, Ole Miss commit. And uh, it's uh, simple. He's, he's really, really small. Very, 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 very small player. And he's a lot of fun, though. He, and, but it's it, all of the discussions about him now, he's a left-handed hitter, and he's an outfielder, but I'm just hearing Jet Williams. It, uh, all of it. To, so tell me. I mean, Adam Eaton. Like, well, yeah, no, kind but, of player. But I, 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 as a comp, that's true. Obviously, Jet Williams is a shortstop. But I mean from the perspective of when Jet Williams, who is now you know, a Mets prospect and has had success in pro yeah. ball, that year, especially going into it, and then as that, as that spring went on, everyone would say, like, man, if he was three inches taller, he'd be going in the top ten. And I've already heard that multiple times about Slade Caldwell, and I don't know how high he can climb, but that's a player that I'm very excited to see 
how much what, what he can do because yeah. he he again in terms of people who had really good summers he 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 fits. I think he's a really interesting one. I'll give you another one who's a right-handed hitter who's a little bit underside. Ty, Ty Southasine, oh, who is oh, from Las Vegas. A, that's such a fun who one. Is a middle infielder who is maybe the swaggiest player in the class too. So, like there's some real tools there, and Ty Southasine is like. T- Ty Salvesine makes confident people look shy. Like he just this kid is himself. awesome. You would love and, him, and his, like, he, he has like he has like five, what is it four or five brothers that are all like yeah that are young that also play and a play twin baseball. that plays baseball, and, right? plays baseball. Yeah. and I believe his his parents. I'm 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 gonna botch. That. I'm pretty sure his parents are from Laos. Mm-hmm. Which is Laos, yeah. Laos, and and moved to Vegas and had all these kids, and now just have this like. They have, I think, four kids that all play baseball and are all prospects. But Ty is so much fun. Wow. Also undersized. An incredible story. Like I, oh. And there was a, I, I believe uh, there was a good, PG did a good feature with him. I think uh, Danny Wexelman did. Dan, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, of course, Danny Wex. I'm sure she'll be on this, this show at some point. But I, yeah, if you watch him play, you watch him swing. He's I love another Ty one Salve that's, that's, yeah. that's a, a really, really fun yeah, one. In I, terms of, again, though, but like smaller and it's like a, it's an interesting profile. He's, he's going to be a, a fun player to watch. But again, like, again, all these guys that we're talking about, they're fun. But none of them have, like, top-of-the-draft yeah. pedigree of what we yeah. saw out of the prep I, guys last year. I totally agree. And, know, it, like feels like, and it feels like Connor Griffin has, like, a 15% chance to just go absolutely ham in the spring yeah. and play his way into a clear top-ten pick. But other than that, as it stands now, it's going to be a lot more of a, of a pop-up situation. Uh, all right, we're going to end it here. This has been Prospect Barbacast. Jake is getting sleepy. It's a little too early to be Notice talking about the 2024 uh, draft. I, yeah, yeah, it's it's December fifth. We We're at the winter meetings, guys. Dude, <laughs> never too early. Well, like, is it too early to be talking about prospects? Too? I will say. I no. mean, it's also no, December. No, 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 I'm not and, saying like, the it's season doesn't. I, I will it's say not though. Too, one second. You've got to let us geek out about this stuff. No. This is why we're doing this. <laughs> no, I understand that. What I'm saying is, for me, I don't have enough brain space to hold all this information. Up to now, and so this is useful for me, and I hope that it is useful. And again, I'm not like I love this shit. I just have other yeah. pursuits. I will say, this is how I feel about talking about the next draft before the draft happens. So, like <laughs> before, like especially now that the draft is later, talking about 2025 when it's June or May drives me insane. That. That like pisses me off. That but we'll deal with most, that when we get there. That is the most <laughs> niche pet peeve of all time. Can you imagine like you meet Jordan at a party and I'm it's like, so, I mean, it's what's your pet peeve? Oh, I hate it when you know See, it people is. put the seat back in the airplane. And Jordan's like, you know what I hate? This is worse people than the seat back in the airplane. Are you kidding like, me? Like the, the, I'm, I, I am slightly with you. Like I don't mind the TLDR. I'm like the next year's draft. It's like 25. <laughs> eh, it's not going to be great from the prep standpoint. Like, and 26 is going to be really yeah, that's good. Fine, but if so, you're, like that's you know, like we're two years, I two just, and a half years I, out anyway. from it. We have but so it's much. Like, so, I don't so need to go any deeper than that exactly. right now. Like we have so many players we're going to get to cover. If, and, yes. and listen, the great thing too, I want to point out about this is, especially with the college players, and this should be a fairly college heavy draft at the top. Most of those players are on TV, on TV. Bingo. frequently. Bingo. Yeah. And just a quick reminder that college baseball games start counting like on Valentine's Day. So if you love baseball, 
Yep. And you hate watching exhibition baseball oh. yep. because it's boring oh, and nobody as hell, cares. which yes. I get from spring training can be if there's not like a super great prospect or somebody who's new to your team. Or college baseball is a great route yeah. to go. Friday, Saturday, Sundays are games that matter. The midweeks can be really fun early in the season because they're usually rivalry games. Like that's a great way to get to learn about these guys while also seeing some baseball that matters. And that's the thing I love about the – like, as much as I think the season starting on February 15th is just bonkers, <laughs> like, the fact that, that we get to see games that count oh, then yeah. is awesome. I totally agree. Well said. Uh, but February is still sort of a long way away. But Prospect Barbacast will roll on. Thank you, Mike Farron. Thank you, Jake Mintz. Thank you, producer Chris Tyler. Hopefully you enjoyed – this latest edition of Prospect Barbecast, you can send your emails. We will funnel them to Mike if they uh, need to be. Uh, baseballbarbecast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. Uh, no new email address for this show. We Hopefully, you've been enjoying it so far. Uh, we'll be back on Friday without Mike. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Sirius XM Podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.